So, so Russ, are you um, you gonna you gonna be okay? No. No, I'm not. I can't believe that a men's national team managed to somehow not qualify for the World Cup. I mean, I knew it was going to be bad. I knew that all we had was the American Wonder Boy from Hershey, PA, Christian Pulisic, but I I never want to see those guys wear the men's national team jersey ever again. So now instead of it just being, this is why I hate, like, why did I start following sports? It's just constant disappointment. Like, I never want to see Tim Howard in jersey again. I never want to see Michael Bradley. I've never thought about burning They're all a person's... still playing? I've never thought about burning a player's jersey like I have with the Michael Bradley jersey that I have. Josie Altidore, I swear, if I ever see that guy in a men's national team jersey, I think I'm just never going to watch. He he had at least Go one Go Taylor play. Twelman on us. Go what? Taylor, Taylor Twelman. Yo, really... that, was, that was an awesome rant. It was fantastic. Like that. That is that's That pretty much encapsulated how I feel. Who's uh, this? Taylor Twelman on ESPN. Okay. Um, he, like, during the last World Cup when ESPN had it, he was usually the, the lead color commentator with uh, Ian Dark. Uh, you know what? Like, as disappointed as I feel, and as much as I want to punch people in the head, um, imagine how Fox Sports feels. They they spent $400 million on uh, this World Cup in 2018. Oddly enough, like I'm, I'm surprised that like Hillary Clinton and more people on the left haven't come out at this point and commended the men's national team on really taking a stand against uh, potential Russian interference in the election by just straight up failing to uh, like kind of boycotting the World Cup in 2018. They decided not to qualify because that was really going to send a message. Well, so. Russ, think about this too. Think about all the sleep you're going to get now that you don't have to watch soccer games at three o'clock in the morning. I don't even care. Like it's that it, that doesn't make me feel any better. Russ, I, Tim you know, Howard is still playing. Yeah, like, well, he's because a, he looks yeah, like such an asshole Brad on the Guzan, field all Brad, the time, Brad yelling Guzan at people, is, pointing is, at people, yelling yeah. at people, pointing well, at people. Here's the worst part: was probably the best finish of Omar Gonzalez's career. He's a center back. He had an own goal that looped over Tim Howard. That's what set the whole thing off. So the how Met- did this happen? Hold on. They played Friday and they played last night. So they played yesterday, and going into the game. The Trinidad and Tobago, or Tobago, however you want to say it, their field was flooded. The track around it was flooded. And the men's the men's uh, national team Twitter, the U.S. Soccer Federation, kind of poked fun at it. And um, they went out and they absolutely laid an egg. The only guy who looked like he cared at any point in the game was Christian Pulisic, who scored a goal. What the was the score half. and what did they need to one. do? It was 2-1. All they needed was a tie. If they, <laughs> if they tie, they end up likely... Uh, in a playoff against Australia to go into the World Cup. If they win that game, Late. I think they were an automatic in. But Honduras ends up beating Mexico, and um, Panama, I think it was, ended up winning their game. It was just like... Th- what were the other losses before this that led to this? Most. They they lost most of their games. Uh, <laughs> to who? It was like losses or draws. That's why Jurgen Klinsmann got fired in the first place. Is everybody blamed Jurgen and said that the players didn't like playing for him. So what did they do? They bring back Bruce Arena, who was the winningest coach in men's national team history. So why not just... It felt like a Flyers move where you go back and you hire an old coach or you, you hire one of the boys. He came back in. They had like a pretty decent result at the start. But like there are two things that you can't teach. You can't teach heart. You can't teach game IQ. 
and these and like situational awareness these guys were scoreboard watching the entire game like once a score would come in like when honduras ended up topping mexico like that was unreal and then it was um i guess it was was it panama i might be wrong now is mexico they, they in scored, the world cup mexico qualified they ah. won they oh, won they won the um, built the wall. They, won, they won the hex and the weird thing or like the good thing i i guess for fox is apparently i think it was richard deitch said yesterday fox sports execs were already planning on on building up el tree the mexican team um they were talking about building them up as as like a, a focal point of their coverage in 2018 but like now they have to because i don't know who's gonna watch Messi almost didn't qualify. It took a hat trick from him yesterday to get Argentina into the cup. He he dragged his his team kicking and screaming. Pulisic tried to, but like there's nobody else on that team worth worth a dime at this point. And uh, Ronaldo just scored. Like Ronaldo and Portugal uh, qualified yesterday. Robin and the Netherlands did not qualify. Like Russ, they're, all they're... I can before we go through the entire world, all yeah. I can say is that I'm sorry, and. Uh... I was at I was at the Bruno Mars concert last night, following along the Slack chat of you guys talking about stuff. It's just going off on my phone, and I'm getting tapped on the wrist on my watch every time there's a message, and I'm not looking at them. But I just happened to glance at one, and it was you saying the men's national team didn't fucking qualify for the World Cup, and uh, I laughed out loud. I I feel bad for you, but I also found I also found humor in your in your angst. I apologize. I, thank you for the Schadenfreude. I yes. feel I feel bad for anybody who cares about <laughs> soccer in the country because in 90 minutes they put the sport back 30 years. <laughs> Seriously, they 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 really did. The women's the women's team does well. They don't get paid much. The men's team goes out and absolutely choke. They put a billion dollars into MLS and and this is what we have to show for it. Well, hey, so. at least they didn't get thrown out of Disney World like uh, Alex Morgan. Yeah. Well, I would um, I would go so far as to say this is the biggest American sports failure of my lifetime to not qualify for the World Cup. Like, look, if they had qualified, they probably would have gotten bounced out in the in the group stage. But to not even qualify for the World Cup, the only thing that I think people could maybe think is is almost as embarrassing or or maybe would try to make the case more so is in 04 when the um, men's basketball team got the bronze at the Olympics. That's the only thing I could think. Um, Let me ask you this. this. How do we, before we move on, like soccer has had so much momentum in the last eight years around here. And I guess most of that in terms of the youth level probably isn't long enough for its success over those years to percolate up into kids being old enough to play on the national team now. So you're still probably like one World Cup cycle away from maybe seeing the benefits of that slight soccer movement in the U.S. But how do how do they go backwards like this? The fact that you're mentioning guys like Bradley and Tim Howard, who I feel like have been there forever. I'm surprised you didn't say Landon Donovan came out and threw on the kit one last time. Like, how do they not have more young guys like Pulisic and, I don't know, just more talent coming in, given the fact that soccer has steadily increased in popularity over the last decade? Because their center backs are bad. They don't have a they, – they did not want to, I guess, roll the dice on a young goalie like Hamid. Um, and their young guys that they do have, like Yedlin, 
just didn't really step up to the plate this time. Like Bobby Wood was okay. They have they have like decent young players, but like in a in a on a team like this, you need veterans to step up. And like this is why I say like Josie Altador is a lot younger than people realize. So in theory, he'll be on the next World Cup team likely uh, in 2022. But if your vets don't step up, and like I said, the only guy who looks like he cares is 19 year old Christian Pulisic from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Then like drink there, there is no way for you to be successful. I mean, he was barking at his veteran teammates to look like they should like you know care. And Bruce Arena in the last two minutes after a goal was scored in another game that was going to knock them out of the World Cup, uh, Bruce Arena starts you know yelling at his team. This is the moment. This is it. This is all you have. You know what, Bruce? Like, if, if you didn't roll out the same starting 11 two games in a row, if you had had your team prepared, if you'd not made fun of Trinidad's I, field... I uh, get the sense you're incapable of, ha- of, of, talking about, <laughs> of talking about this with the wound so fresh because uh, every question we've lobbed at you so far has just, <laughs> just been you screeding about the game. So uh, I, I appreciate, there, nothing, the, I appreciate there, the rawness nothing, of this loss for you. It really sucks. It does. It, it just... <laughs> I, also it really like that, is I also like that Kyle's like, hey, Russ... What, how can we fix U.S. men's soccer? No, okay. It's, there's not. There's not really a way to like guys. Like, that's the answer. The answer, like, the answer like, is this. Goddamn coach. It's well. They need to actually hire a legitimate coach, and it can't be. It can't be somebody from the Wayback Machine. You can't bring in a guy with a tired mindset like Bruce Arena to lead your team. The problem is, it'd be that, like hiring Ruben Amaro as the, yeah. your manager. Well, like the only thing that they could have done, I think realistically is like before the hex cycle even started, if they were going to get rid of Klinsman, then they should have done it at the beginning and hired a, a manager to lead them through the hex. They were afraid to, and to fire your coach midway through the cycle, you know, they, they decided that they needed a, a voice that had already been established. There's I a like lot, what... there's, there is a lot of, uh, of intrigue, I guess, for four years from now, but it sucks that we have to wait another four and hope. I liked what Investor Jeff said in the Slack, and he's, I think it was him. He said, uh, our best athletes play basketball and football. There's it's probably true. something to that. You know, Odell you Beckham up Jr. In... used to play soccer. What's that? Um, Odell right, Beckham yeah. Jr. used to play soccer. Imagine what a guy like him on the field would look like. You're literally but, taking you're literally taking Sims's major point that has upset soccer fans. We have a UK iTunes that is filled with people that get so mad at Sims because Sims has said that Odell that the if the NFL players since they were four were to begin playing soccer, they would destroy every soccer team in a, in the world, and that Odell Beckham would be the greatest soccer player of all time. And I literally got a tweet last night from someone that said it's the reason the U.S. men's soccer team didn't qualify is because their best player broke his leg last Sunday. This has been like, Sims <laughs> left go drink. Like a number one topic that we've always said is the, the best athletes don't go to play soccer in this country, whereas everywhere else, Brazil, from the time they are out the womb, they're kicking a ball. And also remember, it is extremely, like it is expensive to play if you're a kid and you want to play on a travel team, it's expensive to play. I mean, it, it's not the cheapest sport. Like, it's certainly not hockey, but it isn't something that you see a lot of people recruiting either. Like, it's not like AAU ball. All right, so uh, now yeah, we have yeah, just I, said Mexico yeah. won the hex. You've literally just said that they're bringing old people back like the Flyers and soccer isn't as expensive as hockey and equally as disappointing for you last night, I imagine – 
down 3-0. Flyers come back and score the next five in Nashville. It then becomes 5-4. And with a little bit more than a minute left. Two minutes left. Two yep. minutes left. Uh, it's a six on three for Nashville. Uh, and it turns to a goal. Flyers challenge. They lose the challenge, which means it's still 5-5, and they lose a player, so it's another power play, which I didn't even know was a thing. And then Nashville scores with like 30-something seconds left. Oh, did I mention that the game-tying goal was Hartnell? And so the Flyers are now 2-2. Two and two. I'm still surprised. Uh, look, Nolan Patrick gets his first goal. I'm still surprised the Flyers are performing this well. But that was a heartbreaking loss. You go into the defending Western Conference champions, home ice, a great atmosphere, hard place to come away with even a point, and Dave Hackstall blows it. He and his video guy flat out blew it. If you look back at the replay, they said that that there are cameras that are in the boards, I guess, right along the blue line. Um, It looked like Hartnell's foot. I think they originally challenged, um, I don't remember if they challenged on Hartnell or on, I think it was Forsberg was in the center. Um, thing was Forsberg goes offside, comes back, checks back to the blue line. And then it looked like Hartnell was offside, but then they were making the argument that his foot was up. It is a, it's a call that you cannot afford to be wrong on. And they were, and like you said, you fail a challenge and you get hit with a power play. And it was already, it was a five on three that they scored on. Um, they had, I think about a minute 15 left on a regular power play and, um, it extends out. So you, you finish the game Well, you, you go out five five to five it's still a five on three it was six on three because they pulled their goalie originally and and like what was russ like after this loss and the soccer loss combined i was so upset at this point in the night that i i I don't think i cried but i was close i like i I, spit (laughs) i went upstairs when it was two nothing trinidad i got in bed i turned on like the last eight minutes of the game because i was disgusted I watch them not qualify. I put on the Flyers. I see them come back. I'm super excited. I'm happy for Nolan Patrick. Uh, Andrew McDonald scored goal. Philpilla scored two. He actually shot the puck. You go in and you manage to blow it, and your coach makes an inexcusable error. Like I, I get the idea that you don't want to have the game tying goal scored on you, but yeah. anytime, but anytime you go into Nashville and you can even challenge for a point. Say you play out that last minute 15 and it's a power play and you're able to kill it off because I think there was only like 20 seconds left on the power play. You kill that off and you go to overtime, you let things fall where they may. You don't need to go for for the win knowing that the – this is almost like Doug going for it on fourth down at, at midfield. It's like, yeah, if, if it works, it's great because then it means that you know you could win the game. But if, if you're wrong – then it's kind of like the Jimmy Kemsky uh, thing that he threw at Kyle, which was like throwing a pass out of your own end zone, and you run the risk of it being intercepted for a pick six. Like that's how bad this decision was. I I miss I missed something here, perhaps because I was stuck in the Wells Fargo lot for a fucking hour. That's that's another thing. Um, did they score on this offsides that they yep. challenged? Yeah. So what happened was okay. It was it was five four. Nashville goes in. Uh, they they pass the puck around a bunch. It's six six on three because they pulled their goalie. So they tied it. They tied they it. They tie it. On this they tie play. it. And then after they tie it, Hackstall and his uh, his assistant video coach 
they go and take a look at it. All right, yeah, we got. All right, so we got. They challenged the offsides. Yep. It would have been yep. to, to, on the tying goal. Yep. I don't. Ha, what was the reaction on the broadcast? I didn't see the. I haven't seen anything. I, know, reaction, I, I know Nashville's coach has come out and said he probably would have challenged it too, but that also might just be a coach speaking up for another coach. Yeah, that was that was part of it because Laviolette. It was it was Laviolette, and he also said that he was confused. Like in the aftermath of the game, he said he was confused. Like I think we all are. But yeah. Um, I don't even remember what your question was. I'm sorry. I have a question. I was just, still, I was just wondering like, the situation and how... The, uh... the, the announcers were... They were kind of outlining how this could be a really risky call. Yeah, theoretically, I don't hate... Penalty. I don't hate the concept of challenging the game-tying goal. Um, because, yeah. like you said, you're going for the win, but you you have the lead on the road. I don't hate the challenge there, but I haven't seen the play. I don't know how... I hate the it challenge was. when it's so close. Because it has to be irrefutable or whatever. Yeah, the, I watched Girardi on Friday not challenge, and that cost the the Yankees a win. That was interesting. My question, though, was, Kyle, um, what is your best parking lot experience? I don't really understand uh, traffic rage in a parking lot because it's like you see all the cars and you see the small like ex- entrance ramps and stuff, and you kind of go, naturally, this is going to take a long time. Have you had good parking lot experiences? No, actually, my, my outrage there wasn't specifically about the parking lot. We were in the lot for a while because unlike a sporting event, you know, everyone leaves at the exact same moment. Um, I actually enjoy that because it's a little bit of a puzzle. People are irrational in parking lots in that they just sort of funnel into where they think they should funnel in and they never look around and realize, hey, what can I do that's outside the box here? So we were like briefly sitting in a line and then you looked around and you're like, oh, I could go out the the Broad Street entrance up by, like, it goes far down up near where the old Spectrum used to be. There's nobody there. It lets you right out at the light there, and boom, you're on Broad Street, rather than going out the back up by 95. And there's just people waiting. by People just sit and wait, and they don't look around and realize, holy shit, the lot's empty. I can pull a completely on the other side of the arena and basically pull just right out. Uh, so that's what we did. So my angst wasn't there. The entrance procedure at the Wells Fargo Center uh, has continuously just degraded over the years as security has been stepped up and you have to go through metal detectors to get in, which I totally am all for given what's going on in the world. I like walking into a building and knowing that uh, it's really difficult for someone who isn't a police officer to have a gun in that building. I, I enjoy that. However, I don't know if it's just because concerts, everyone shows up at once, you know, and sports have a bit of more of a rolling audience because it's people who don't typically come to games like season ticket holders. I don't know if people are drinking. I don't know what it is like 40 minutes in line to get into the building an hour and a half before Bruno even took the stage. Like their system absolutely sucks they they have the you were two- there an hour and a half before no we got to 7 45 show starts at 8 he doesn't take on the stage till 9 20 or whatever so this is the normal time to arrive we're not like late it, it is what it is but they have those two main entrances and everyone is cattle shooted in through i think i counted either six or eight metal detectors at each i'm assuming there was eight at the other one as well and the system is so horrible. I mean, they're they're checking women's purses, which is fine. Like all these things are fine, but I 
I, they, there has to be a better system. Like, put the metal detectors outside. You can put twice as many. Let the people, and then once you gain entrance to the building, you've already gone through a metal detector, sort of like an airport, and you just give your ticket. Their system absolutely sucks. It is mass chaos. It is dangerous. You are cattle shooting hundreds of eager, drunk people into these very narrow openings. It's just a bad situation. I don't know how a major, an arena in a major city doesn't have a better way to enter their goddamn building. Like, this I is a, a modern building. I have a comment, a question. Comment is same issue at the garden. When every time I go it's to an a show at the building, garden. Though. It's like 50 yeah, years old. They've redone it, but it's still like the same thing in terms of it would be nice if you did it outside because inside there's less room and it looks like that's the maximum amount of uh, metal detectors. Number two, damn it. Oh, who are these people getting drunk for a Tuesday night Bruno Mars concert? Or you, Kyle, I mean, were you guys 45 a little... 45-year-old white women. Right. Like, uh, like I, I thought this was going to be, like, 14-year-olds. Like, I I don't know who Bruno brings out, but drunk people on a Tuesday? Well, yeah, maybe it was just my experience. There was, a, like, a group of uh, 20... 20 somethings in front of us just uh the one guy was just shouting and obnoxious in line the whole time so that may have just been that an just outlier. might be a 20 something person <laughs> yes but uh no like they were emanating with, with liquor i'll say this about the crowd um and i said this to my wife very bruno the cool thing about bruno is you could not you could look at that crowd and you would have no idea who was playing because there was everyone there for it was older crowd than you would think like not a lot of young girls at all where almost most concerts are young girls, right? Like we went to Taylor Swift a couple of years ago, and naturally it was all teeny boppers, right? Um, Who is that? What's that person's name? A Taylor Swift. Never Boo! Um, no, but you look at the crowd last night, and there were people from eight-year-old girls to seventy-year-old men, and everybody in between. And when they would do the thing where you know they turn on the house lights during a song and and light up the crowd, and you look down at the floor, I would, I was amazed at like the mix of people. It was really cool because it's it's black, white, young, old, male, female. You could not peg the audience. Uh, I I admire an artist who can bring out people of all stripes uh, to his show. Uh, and he puts on a great show. So yeah, but he's, you he's could not fantastic. peg the audience. Adam, have you seen him live? Cause I have, Kyle has, I have not. I've he's, seen him on television. He's fantastic. Like he, he is. really is. He is worth the price of admission times three, you know? So Bruno can go out there and attract all graces and creeds and colors and backgrounds and religions. And in that arena, there is a man that is already doing the same thing. And he now is paid. And his name is Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid recently received a five-year, $148 million contract, which Zach Lowe came out later and said is one of the most complicated contracts he's ever heard of. Apparently, it's not going to be guaranteed. I said on Monday's show that the Sixers would be absolute idiots to give him a contract. Let me take that back immediately and tell you that this is amazing. And that I am a complete sucker of the moment. And apparently because it's not all guaranteed, that makes me feel fantastic overall. And the fact that he instantly went to probable makes me realize that all of that injury stuff was a farce. And that it was just while they were negotiating the contract. And they're playing up in Long Island tonight. And I'm tempted to go. But it's Long Island. And that's really far away. Do you but, realize that what you're saying is that you 
believe that Howard Eskin was telling the truth all along. Oh, oh, that that is a. What was the Howard take? Howard Howard Eskin had said months, I think about a month ago, that the reason that Embiid wasn't clear to play is was all contractual, and so the the way that, that yeah. you just kind of worded that is is that Howard well, might, have, like, might have been Howard, right. Howard is right sometimes. I've, I don't I think my issue with Howard has always been the delivery and not always the substance. That's fair. Uh, my my issue with Howard was not his Eagles takes over the year. It was the fact that if a woman called, he would tell them to get in the kitchen. Uh, so that that's the basis of my Howard angst. I have uh, I have three things here. I don't know how I left this out. While waiting in line, I was staring at Howard Eskin for a good 25 minutes last night. He was just hanging by Howard the executive Howard Eskin, noted Bruno Mars fan. Noted was he in Bruno- a suit? No, he was in uh, jeans and a tucked-in um, purple button-down. How did you um, not take a picture of this and put Ventresca it on shirt. the Twitter account or on the website? Yeah, I don't know. I probably should have. It was just... I honestly don't know. That's inexcusable on my part. But Howard was there. Um, so that's sort of one. Howard is looking pretty good here. He did say that this Embiid thing had more to do with his contract, which which makes sense. I will tell you that the Sixers were, I don't think, happy with that report. And um, maybe there was a little bit something to it. But I think the way Howard put it across that Embiid was holding out, it always comes across more aggressive with Howard than it really is. And I don't think the Sixers were at all happy with his report because it was a little bit over the top. But he's 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 looking pretty darn good today. Um, number two here is that um, we had someone, a tipster, I will say, email us on Friday. And I didn't feel confident enough to run with it. And it's one of those things where I always regret it because... Uh, you know, uh, I've written this on the site before. Someone had told us about the Dave Haxtall hiring like three days before it happened, three years ago. No one had heard of him. I was like, this can't be real. And sure enough, it was real. So I didn't run with this. And now I kind of wish I, I had or wish I had a backup. So Matt Carey of Liberty Ballers puts out his best guesses based on Woj's reporting of Embiid's breakdown. And essentially, it's, it's the guaranteed and non-guaranteed portions going from 2018 um, to 2022. The first year is fully guaranteed at 25 million. Based on Matt's guesses here, the next years in succession are 13 million, 14 million, 15 million, and 16 million, with a change of about 250,000 in each of those years. When you plug that in to the calculator, that gives you guaranteed of about 84 million dollars and change, give or take. Um, our tipster on Friday had emailed us, said Embiid will sign his deal on Monday, and it will be for eighty-five five years, $85 million. And they emailed me and actually apologized the other day and said, it looks like I was wrong. It was one fifty, And turns out they, pro- they, they were half right because, you know. 85 it, it was about it's about 85 million guaranteed according to this guessing so um we had this in our inbox on friday and i never did anything with it and never mentioned on the podcast which i should have so but for those our who, tipster looks like he was spot on so for those who are not caught up on everything woge uh in woge's report he outlined the fact that the only way to really trigger uh not guaranteeing money would be a catastrophic injury based on Embiid's feet or back so the pre-existing conditions uh, apparently does not include the knee that he tore the meniscus in, and that they would have the right to waive him. At, I, I presume at the end of any season they could waive him, I guess, in order to uh, 
to not have to pay him the the full entirety of the contract. So, but that said, I I don't think the I don't think the Sixers at any point are going to release him unless he like rebreaks the navicular bone. Like I think that's the the only way. I take the fact that the knee isn't in there. If the, if the, I'm assuming Woj's reporting is accurate, as a really good sign about his knee and that there really is nothing to be concerned of. Nor should yeah. there be with a meniscus, but um, it has taken quote unquote taken a while for him to return here. So I take that as a good sign. Credit to Brian Colangelo, Adam. I don't remember you really. I guess you were against paying him this much money but everyone has pretty much seen this coming now that you have to reach some sort of conclusion credit to brian colangelo for finding a really good middle ground i saw someone tweet the other day that he um negotiated an nfl contract in the nba i don't know if that's fully the case because there's still 85 million guaranteed here but uh this is this is pretty impressive because it saves the sixers uh, on the cap if something catastrophic happens. It's a win oh, for all yeah. sides. Embiid I, I, is yeah, set it, for life, and the brilliant. Sixers have a have a ripcord if if he really is just a walking uh, walking you know medical diagnosis. The one thing I always try to explain to people with NFL contracts is we always look at, oh, Matt Stafford, five years, $140 million. Only look at the guaranteed money because that's all they're probably going to see. And for it seems like half of this contract to be guaranteed, that's unbelievable. I also want to say thank you to Embiid's agents for being willing to to negotiate and Embiid. Mm -hmm. Because in the NBA, we've seen this happen all over the place. He could have gone, absolutely not. I'm only taking guaranteed money. So... Uh, that that's part of the reason why I flip so hard from I can't believe they're paying someone that's played 31 games to wow he's willing to take half in guaranteed money because if he ends up being the MB we know he's capable of he's worth it and if he ends up getting hurt they can get out of it uh, this is uh, beyond exciting uh, especially just because. Um, what, what this means, you know, and, and how it sets up with Simmons' contract coming in three to four years and the flexibility that allows them. And, man, uh, the fact that we could see Embiid as soon as tonight, oh, I'm, so, punch me. Really quick, uh, I'm usually wrong, but I wanted to uh, – I went back over an old podcast episode we have. It was from September 22nd when we initially talked about the possibility of a max extension. Mm-hmm, and this is, where, this is where we all uh, – fell in at kyle said he's not going to get a max deal because he's too much of a risk which he did adam said if they give him 100 million for three years they're out of their minds which they didn't uh what yeah uh you said if uh you now adam to your credit you did say that in order for them to negotiate a decent deal they both have to admit that there there has to be a halfway acknowledgement that this has been an abject failure halfway that's yep, like half yep, guaranteed. Yep, yeah. Yep. And then Kyle said Sixers have the opportunity to lock him up at a discount. If he plays 60 games a year, it'll be worth it. I mentioned that his extension could have been worth between about 113 to 146. That's when Kyle's mic cut out. You said F that. Kyle came back in and said that's not a real number. They're not going to give him the max. I repeat, not give him the max. Probably $100 million or less. And I said I think the only way it happens is if there's a non-guaranteed portion. 
So I feel like it was important that we let the people know. I think we've been pretty pretty consistent. Russ, well, it sounds like on. you didn't talk a lot in that conversation. I didn't know because <laughs> you you and I just kept going back and forth. This is when Kyle's mic cut out, and That's uh, right. and I was just throwing the numbers about Kyle barged back in, <laughs> and uh, no, they're never gonna pay him the max. Well, I'm yeah. And, well, hold on, you know, hold look, on. I mean, a half half guaranteed. I I get it. I think it's it's a great deal. It's exactly. I've I've been kind of warming up to Brian Colangelo a bit over the the t- Ru- over his tenure. Russ, I'm kind of glad that my mic cut out because I was probably even more uh, outrageous outraged at that. I think we were honestly we were all right, and this kind of goes to the the whole tipster thing. The tipster apologized, like God, I'm sorry. I I thought it was less than that. Well, the answer is well, it is and it isn't. This it's a very unique deal, and I th- forget who put it out there, but they're like this. Maybe it was Kevin O'Connor of the ringer i forget this may be one of the most complex deals in nba history there's not there's not a um i think the reason we haven't seen a hard guaranteed number is because there's so many variables here there's so much offsetting language uh it's there's probably some pretty substantial incentives in there as well so the, the reality is it's it's a little bit of both it is it a $148 million contract? Yeah, I mean, in name, but it's really not that. The, the contract part, the, they are agreeing to pay him regardless of situation. It looks like it's going to shake out to be about $85 million, which which makes the tipster right. It makes my $100 million or less look pretty good, uh, but it also makes your $148 million because it is technically a max deal. So it's a little bit of everything. It's unique, but... Um, Adam, to your point, like credit to Embiid for signing this, but every side here had something to gain and something to lose. And it works out well for everybody. The Sixers maxing a healthy Embiid is a no brainer, right? So they have that luxury. If he's healthy, they have a, a young max player and they're fine paying that. If he's not healthy, they get a break for Embiid. You're set for life. Now you're, you're 80 some million, whatever it's going to be guaranteed. If you, if your foot falls off tomorrow, you and your, the next three generations are set. Uh, so it's a win for Embiid and it's a fair deal for him. All, look, man, all you got to do, if you play, you earn, you earn the biggest contract in Sixers history. So it's a win-win all around. I don't think any of us were spot on, but I don't think we were all wrong either. I think there was some truth to, to everything there. Um, the other thing is you mentioned the football contracts. I think the, the, the canonical example of that is Michael Vick's quote-unquote $100 million deal that was only, it was I think $38 million guaranteed or something. Vic's people apparently had pushed for that $100 million number because it was a real nice redemption story. You know, the ex-con gets $100 million, but that was sort of the one where it was like, man, these contracts are totally out of whack because they're out there pounding their chests about $100 million, and nobody in their right mind actually believed it to be a true $100 million contract. I don't know what it ended up at, but my guess is... If, uh, Vic got less than thirty million of that by the time it was all said and done. Russ, uh, I'm curious. Did you go ape shit Monday night for the Star Wars trailer too? It was awkward. Russ is me. Leave. He's he may have just he may have. Oh, um, I gotta go. Oh man. Uh, okay. Well, we still talk about that? Fultz's shoulder. Oh, well, how Sean McDonough McDonna is so awkward in general, and man, he 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 was like, "I'm now uh, a trailer of a movie that people seem to like, uh, Star Wars." Damn, I wanted this. I wanted to get the nerd trifecta uh, for Russ there. 
I love them. What uh, I don't, what I don't get it. I, I'm a champion. I have no problem with ESPN and Disney and ABC using their partnership to do this. I, I think it's, it's fine. You have a big audience. It's cool. The way they set it up was so weird though. Cause they're like, the, the game goes to halftime. McDonough's like, we'll be back with the thing. And then they send it to, I think one commercial and then it goes to the studio. And what was it? Was it Susie Calber? Um, or whoever's doing the studio show these days. Yeah. And then I'm like, they're going to do it from the NFL live studio. And then rather than just come into it, they send it back to McDonough standing with a stormtrooper. And the stormtroopers taking the field, which I thought was cool, which I guess is why they sent it away from the field. I'm just thinking this out loud. Exactly. They sent it away from the field. It was all, so they, it was all the marketing image of stormtroopers on the field. Yeah, so they had to send it away so they could set it up and, and then bring it back to McDonough. Okay, it makes sense now why they did it. doesn't make it any less awkward. Someone, I keep forgetting who was tweeting these things. I should start like jotting these down. But I saw someone tweet, or maybe it was a, a commenter, said it would have been great if Gruden was in the stormtrooper costume after the uh, trip. That would have been pretty good. Um, yeah, I, don't I was a little disappointed in the trailer, that. though. I, I don't know. I was a little. It didn't have the same beats as the the trailers for the first two. The, the trailers for the first two sold the hell out of the movie, and not that I'm not gonna want to watch it, but I thought the trailer was lacking something in its like tempo and pacing and intrigue, except for Ray going to. The they dark could have side. literally just put a trailer where it was like coming this December. Star Wars. People are like, oh my god, that was incredible. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't even know why. Like people are gonna like. I bet you there is some website that's doing like frame by frame, like evaluations of the of the trailer. It's so ridiculous. It's gonna be great. We're all gonna see it. And if you're not gonna see it, then you weren't gonna see it anyway. Uh, I Star Wars sells itself. I don't. You know. I don't know if the trailer is necessary. But uh, one thing that's not selling itself. Merkel Fultz and the shoulder. Can we draft a 19 year old that's not fucking hurt, please? And thank you. Yeah, this is uh, this is sort of disappointing. Uh, if you haven't been keeping up with the story, what we have so far uh, in the Fultz tenure is the the ankle sprain over the summer, which is a freak thing. Then he comes in to camp, apparently changes his shot. The coaching staff, it sounds like, didn't know that he was working on changing his shot. Brett Brown sounded a little dismayed, though he downplayed it. Uh, Kevin actually asked him about this, and he said, yeah, you're, you know, you're all making too much of this. And then Fultz takes the court the other night, and he, I think he scored 12 or 14 points. He looked much better than he did in his first game, but he doesn't attempt. He attempted one, what you consider a jump shot. It was 11 feet out. It was a little bit of a pull-up. It was a nice shot. Uh, didn't attempt anything deep, no three-pointers. He was, I think, over two in the first game, so he hasn't hit a three-pointer in two games. This after, in the summer league, looking just fine like he did in college with his shot, hit four three-pointers in one game. He's got his shoulder taped up. He's got some sort of shoulder soreness. You watch him shoot a free throw. Clearly, there is something off about his free throw stroke, and then you have him and Brett Brown acknowledge after the game that his shoulder soreness is contributing to his shot adjustment. So, I don't know what is more concerning if he adjusted his shot and there wasn't a problem to explain it, and now he's all twisted up and has to un, um, you know, unfuck himself, um, or if an injury kind of forced him to do this and it's not a bad injury and once it goes away, he'll be fine. I guess that would be the best case scenario, but having this sort of curious, vague shoulder injury that no one really knew about is is not great, and then I guess he's not playing tonight because he has a sore knee, uh, and he had had going back to high school, I guess, um, you know, minor knee soreness issues. 
So this isn't the start we all envisioned. It's early in the preseason. This is probably going to be a footnote in his career, if that, hopefully. But, like, I don't think we could have more things go wrong in the first couple of weeks and months of the Fultz era than we have so far. I mean, we have three separate minor injuries and a tweak shot form. Not, not yeah. great. My first thing is uh, stop shooting with a bum shoulder. Like, if this is impacting your shooting motion, how about you just, like, not do it for a few weeks? Get healthy. Like, we'll figure it out. It's fine. Uh, number two, whoever mentioned to him that he should start changing his shot, I'd like to have a talk with them. <laughs> I'd like to have them on the podcast. I'd like to ask them a lot of questions in a very calm tone. But he was shooting 40% from three in college. We didn't need a shot motion. If Alonzo Ball isn't changing his shooting motion, which looks ridiculous, then Fultz shouldn't touch his. And third, that's the thing. Alonzo, De'Aaron Fox, Jason Tatum, all these guys look amazing. Please, in this draft, can we not take the guy that is hurt with a chain shooting motion. Like that would, like, at least with Simmons and Embiid, we clearly got the best guy in those drafts. My concern with this one is, I hope we didn't get the one injured one, and that would be bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I I don't think that's the case, and obviously it's too early to say that. When you, you know, Fultz had a couple of plays. He had a spin move out at around a quarter court, uh, out by the hash mark and then took it to the net and it was pretty and you're like okay this is this is the guy we drafted in the summer league you saw the heisey the hezzy however you want to pronounce it pull up jay and the the three-point stroke which looked pretty good the reason the reason he was the number one pick and if you go back to all of our draft conversations it's because he was the only guy who could score at a plus level on all three levels of the of the floor he's an excellent finisher he can get to the rim he can he can hit in the mid-range with his pull-up jumper, and he was a decent three-point shooter. And there was, his shot wasn't perfect. It wasn't the pure shooting stroke of Malik Monk or J.J. Redick, but his shot was fine. There was nothing wrong with it. The thing about, so the thing has always been De'Aaron Fox is the quicker, better driver. Um, Lonzo Ball is the better passer. And Jason Tatum was the guy none of us wanted. He looks great, but if we go back to those draft conversations, he was the guy who was NBA ready. The guy everyone said has an NBA skill set on day one, can go in and and play in the NBA right away because he's got the size and the maturity and whatever, but his ceiling is low. And I think all of those things are still true. Like, Ball looks flashy, but he would be redundant on this team. Because we've seen what a passer Simmons is. And having two guys like that is, um, you know, probably something less than ideal. Having two guys who are always looking to make plays. You need a little bit more of a killer with with a guy like that. Um, De'Aaron Fox, yeah, we all knew he could get to the basket and he was quick or whatever. But let's see over time if he's able to stretch the floor. Right now, him and Fultz are playing the same game through, again, a couple of preseason games, which is drive, drive, drive. And if that's the case, yeah, you want Fox. He's quicker and the better driver. The reason Fultz was the number one pick is because he had a, a 50% of his game had nothing to do with driving. It had everything to do with shooting and his ability to pass and play off the ball. And if whether it's because of the shoulder injury or his confidence in the shot, he's not shooting, he becomes De'Aaron Fox 
but not as athletic, which which would be a problem in the long run. So, you know, he needs his shot needs to work for him to justify being the number one player in the NBA draft. Otherwise, they would have gone out and got a Dennis Smith or a De'Aaron Fox, who are probably the more athletic, um, you know, physically gifted dr- drivers. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the, the right terminology is there, but yeah, I don't know. It's, this isn't great, but he just got to fix the shot, whether it's the shoulder or whatever. And yeah, it kind of sucks to see that whatever he was able to do in the summer league, he is not able to do now. That that to me is more concerning because three months ago, the shot looked fine. All right, so we were waiting on an Adam response there, and it looks like uh, his mic cut out. We're having some sort of technical difficulty. So uh, well, it's probably a good place to wrap the show anyways. We hit on just about everything, the U.S. men's national team, the Flyers game, and beat contract, faults, and even Bruno Mars. So uh, thanks for listening. We will be back on Friday bright and early, recapping a very late Eagles-Panthers Thursday night game. Both teams at 4-1. This should be a good one. Thanks for listening. We will see you on Friday.